0: This is Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Anais Malpica, who is a professor in the Department of Pathology at MD Anderson Cancer Center. Welcome, Anais.
1: Good morning. Thank you, Pedro, for this great opportunity to go over this very interesting uh, tumors that are commonly seen in the GYN tract, and this is a great opportunity to update information regarding these neoplasms with the audience.
0: So, today we're we're speaking, uh, particularly as you mentioned, on a a very um, interesting uh, set of tumors. These are the mesenchymal tumors of the uterus. And lots to talk about, and of course, obviously, we're going to take advantage of your um, expertise to ask you many questions. Um, would you share with us uh, what really encompasses, what is the definition of a mesenchymal tumor of the uterus? That's a great question, actually.
1: If we just think about our histology courses back in medical school, we remember that there are mesenchymal cells, and these mesenchymal cells are the cells that provide the support to an organ. In the uterus, the most common mesenchymal, Neoplasms are those that show smooth muscle differentiation, followed by those with endometrial stromal differentiation. Less frequent types of mesenchymal uterine tumors include tumors with vascular differentiation, adipocytic differentiation, myofibroblastic differentiation, and tumors that are more controversial, like uh, picoma.
0: So, let's start with the low-grade endometrial stromal sarcomas. Uh, Tell us about these tumors. What are the typical uh, stains or immune stains that that typically characterize this type of tumor?
1: Low-grade endometrial stromal sarcomas are going to be typically positive for CD10, estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, as well as WT1. And they are going to be negative for caldesmon, SMMS1, and cyclin D1. It's important to... uh, Tell the audience that these tumors can share the expression of desmin in smooth muscle acting with the smooth muscle tumors.
0: And I would imagine, obviously, this is uh, important because one needs to differentiate between the more aggressive type of uh, endometriostromal sarcomas. And along with that, um, are there any type of uh, genetic abnormalities that are typically seen with uh, low-grade endometriostromal sarcomas?
1: Yes, actually, this is one of the greatest uh, um, pieces of information that we have acquired in the recent years. Low grade endometrial sarcoma is going to show a genetic abnormality that is pretty much seen in almost half of the cases, which is the fusion gene called JASF1SUZ12, and the acronym is jas one there are other uh, genetic abnormalities, uh, like jazz F1, PHF1 fusion gene, and whenever we see this PHF1 as part of the fusion gene, this is a type of uh, finding that is related to histological feature, which is sex cord stroma
0: differentiation. So, Annalisa, in in the setting of of, uh, the diagnosis of uh, low-grade endometrial sarcoma, how frequent are pathologists going through the range of the stains that you mentioned or the range of assessing these genetic abnormalities? Is this something done that is now routine, or this is only done in specific circumstances?
1: The histological features of a low-grade endometrial sarcoma are quite Characteristics. So we are looking for a proliferation of uniform cells with oval or a rounded nuclei that these cells are essentially mimicking the cells in the stroma of the proliferative endometrium. That cellular component is going to be associated with a discrete proliferation of va- vessels that are going to be delicate vessels. And we see an infiltration of the myometrium that is called jigsaw puzzle, This type of pattern is very classic and pathologists feel pretty comfortable with it. In difficult cases, we will use immunomarkers, but as a rule, if the disease is presenting as advanced stage, we are going to order PR, immunostain. We want to assess the progesterone receptor status because that's information that you might use for therapeutic considerations.
0: Okay, and now, uh, you know, we often, as clinicians, obviously, ask the pathologists, how should we discuss the prognosis of, of this tumor with, with the patient, and, and have we learned anything new regarding prognosis? And, you know, as I recall, generally in our practice, we, we've been taught that uh, low-grade endometrial stromal sarcomas generally are, are fairly benign type of, of tumors, if one could use that word. Um, what, what's the, the latest on prognosis of low-grade endometriostromal sarcomas as it pertains to early stage versus advanced stage disease?
1: Still, the stage of disease is what is going to determine the prognosis. So for fibro stage 1 disease, we have a survival rate of 92% with a recurrence rate of 36%. That recurrence rate is going to increase to 76%. In cases of FIWA stages 2 to 4, and the survival rate is going to drop to 66% in this group of
0: cases. Yeah. So, so still a, a concern, particularly for, for advanced stage disease. And, and uh, often one of the other questions that seems to come up frequently with low-grade endometriostromal sarcoma is how frequently do we see lymph node metastases in these types of tumors?
1: We see lymph node metastasis in low-grade stromal sarcomas in about uh, 19 to 33% of the cases. And we can see metastasis to the ovary in 13% of the cases.
0: Now, changing gears a little bit uh, to uh, somewhat of a related tumor, or the high-grade stromal sarcoma, and in fact, uh, are we still calling it high-grade stromal sarcoma? And I was wondering if you could speak uh, specifically about the difference based on pathology between the low-grade and the high-grade endometrial stromal sarcoma.
1: Let's discuss what has happened with the terminology in regards of low-grade and high-grade endometrial stromal sarcoma to clarify this topic to the audience, as this is quite confusing. And to do this, let's backtrack a little bit. Until 1982, the classification of endometrial stromal sarcomas was based on the mitotic index, using 10 mitosis per 10 high-power fields as the cutoff to make the distinction between these two categories. That, mean. that meant, essentially, the pathologist was assessing the mitotic index. If the tumor had more than 10 mitosis per 10 high-power fields, the call was going to be high-grade endometrial stromal sarcoma. If the mitotic index was below that cutoff, the diagnosis was going to be low-grade endometrial stromal sarcoma. In 1982, Harry Evans, who is one of our pathologists here at MD Anderson, published a seminal paper in cancer where this endometrial stromal sarcoma paradigm was changed. Essentially, the mitotic index was not used to designate a tumor as high-grade or low-grade he made an emphasis that in order to make the diagnosis of endometrial sarcoma, we had to see the features that I already described, a uniform population of neoplastic cells with a scanty cytoplasm, oval or rounded nuclei, and a distinct va- vasculature pattern of delicate blood vessels. Tumors showing pleomorphism and that had no evidence of the discrete vascular pattern and also had numerous mitotic figures, those cases were going to be called undifferentiated stromal sarcoma. So we had, for about three decades, we were using endometrial stromal sarcoma as a synonym of for a low-grade tumor. So you were not seeing high-grade and low grade anymore in your reports. In 2012, there was a publication that was pretty important where a group of investigators recognized the existence of an endometrial stromal sarcoma that was characterized by an aggressive behavior. And when they double checked the histological features of those tumors, those tumors had a morphology that was somehow unique. They had Solid areas, nested areas, the cells were plump, rounded. The nuclear membrane shown in those cells was distinctly irregular, and the mitotic figures were numerous. Furthermore, they went and they did molecular studies and they found a distinct fusion gene, which is the YWHAE FAM22. Immunohistochemically, these tumors are also different from the low-grade endometrial stromal sarcoma in the sense that they are going to be negative for CD10 ER, PR, and they are going to be positive for Cycline D1. And when we want to see the expression of Cycline D1 as positive, we're talking about at least 70% of the cells staining for this marker. Usually, these cases of high-grade endometrial stromal sarcoma if you have a good number of sections. You can identify at the periphery a fibromyxoid component which is low-grade. And it's quite interesting what happens with the immunohistochemical profile of this low-grade areas that can be seen as an associated component to these tumors because then in that low-grade area you are going to see that the immunohistochemical profile flips. Now you're going to have CD10 expression, ER expression,
0: PR expression, and the
1: cycling D1 becomes just
0: either negative or just focally positive. And then now the, the uh, high-grade endometrostromal sarcoma definition, is that a definition that is still frequently used in, in uh, pathology reports, or are we to expect more frequently those tumors to be classified as undifferentiated Sarcomas.
1: No, it's a distinct histotype. And as I said, it has not only morphological features that are unique, but also monohistochemical features as well as uh, genetic abnormalities that are unique.
0: Okay. Um, recently, there's been uh, now uh, a, a definition that I found uh, also interesting, the high-grade endometrial sarcoma mimicking a myxoid leiomyosarcoma. What is this?
1: Well, we just, we just keep expanding the number of tumors that you can encounter. So just to clarify th- what we have discussed, nowadays you're going to expect to see your endometrial sarcomas diagnosed as low-grade or high-grade. It is not valid to render a diagnosis of endometrial stromal sarcoma without giving you a grade. And then we have a new player, which is the high-grade endometrial stromal sarcoma with myxoid features, which is a tumor that can be mistaken for myxoid leiomyosarcoma. This recently described a type of high-grade endometrial stromal sarcoma really has overlapping features with a myxoid sarcoma in the sense that it shows a myxoid background, it shows spindle cells, and it shows uh, Numerous mitotic figures. So, unless the pathologist is really aware of this type of tumor, the pathologist is going to confuse this case, a case of high grade endometrial stromal sarcoma with mixoid features, with a mixoid lamellar sarcoma. This tumor is going to be negative for smooth muscle markers such as Desmin, SMMS1 and Caldesmon. And it's going to be positive for CD10 and Cyclic one Furthermore, this tumor has a unique genetic abnormality, which is the ZC3H7B B-core gene fusion. So it has histological features that are unique, immunohistochemical features that are unique, and it has a gene fusion that has been identified.
0: And, and Anaïs, from, from the perspective of the clinician, is this type of tumor, when we see a diagnosis like this, expected to be m- much more aggressive than the standard high-grade endometrial sarcoma?
1: It falls into this into the category of high-grade endometrial sarcoma, and the experience is quite limited in order to assess if it is more aggressive than, than conventional high-grade sarcoma, if it's more aggressive than a mixed soil sarcoma, it's just a recently described entity, and we need to uh, study okay. it more diligently.
0: Okay, so now <clears throat> talking about the variants of leiomyomas, and, and I know certainly obviously this can be a broad topic, but um, can you tell us about what are the differences between a typical leiomyoma and a leiomyoma with bizarre nuclei?
1: Atypical leiomyomas are essentially the same that leiomyomas with bizarre nuclei. These are tumors composed of spindle cells, and and they're going to scare the pathologist because they show a very significant degree of nuclear atypia. The nuclear features are quite disturbing. Nuclei are going to be enlarged, pleomorphic, they can be um, the cells can show um, irregular chromatin, intranuclear inclusions. The cells can be multinucleated, and you have an abundance of karyurectic nuclei. And that really confuses the pathologist because these karyurectic nuclei can be mistaken for mitotic figures. When we are assessing these tumors, we have to be extremely careful because we are trying to identify inaccurate mitotic index, and as I said already, the chirorectic nuclei can interfere with that assessment. So these are the cases that are going to consume a good amount of time because the pathologist is like diligently assessing the mitotic index, is trying to avoid those carburettic nuclei, and also the pathologist is trying to ensure that the microscopic sections received are adequate in order to render an accurate diagnosis as there are cases of leiomyosarcoma that can mimic this type of tumor. So, essentially, the pathologist is, knows that has a problem because we have to deal with marked Now, these cases do not show coagulative tumor cell necrosis, so the most important feature now to analyze is the mitotic index. Usually these tumors are going to show a low mitotic index. I mean three, four mitotic figures per 10 high-power fields. Sometimes the mitotic index goes up, up to eight mitosis per 10 high-power fields. And you can imagine how difficult it might be for a pathologist to distinguish this from a leiomyosarcoma. sarcoma if you remember that the cutoff for the call of Lyomyosarcoma when it comes to mitotic index is 10 mitosis per 10 high power fields when we're dealing with a spindle cell tumor. So, these are cases that are going to require some time to render an accurate diagnosis, and more importantly, to ensure that the number of sections examined microscopically are representative of the tumor. If we have a solid diagnosis of a typical leiomyoma or a leiomyoma with bizarre nuclei. The clinician has to be aware that these tumors can come back. In a less than 2% of the cases, we can see intraabdominal recurrences, and essentially the risk for distant metastasis is negligible.
0: And Anais, when they come back, do they tend to come back as a leiomyosarcoma?
1: No, they look identical to what they look. But again, it's very important to ensure that the sampling is adequate and that the person has spent the time looking for this mitosis and not counting chiropractic nuclei as mitotic figures.
0: Now, there's a term that I had not heard before. Um, Also, again, to your point of expanding additional terminology, Apoplectic leiomyoma and also a fumarase deficient leiomyoma, definitely uh, new terms for for, for us. Uh, What are these?
1: Let's start with apoplectic leiomyomas. And it's kind of interesting how terms come and go. And apoplectic leiomyoma is one of those terms. Back in the 80s, that term was used, and it disappeared. For many years, people were essentially ignoring the apoplectic leiomyomas. These are leiomyomas that are going to show multiple foci of hemorrhage and necrosis. And they tend to have this very discrete areas of hypercellularity around the areas of hemorrhage and necrosis. Within those hypercellular areas, the cells can change from being spindle to epithelioid, they change the morphology they can show clearing of the cytoplasm and the mitotic index around those areas of hypercellularity can go up to 14 mitosis per high power field so those are features that unless the pathologist is truly familiar with this constellation of findings can really stump a pathologist, and usually they call as smooth muscle tumor of uncertain malignant potential. But the pathologist has to see the whole picture. So you see the hemorrhage, the necrosis, hypercellularity, the discrete changes of the cell morphology that occur exclusively around the areas of hemorrhage and necrosis, and just be attentive to the fact that your mitotic index can cha- change in those particular foci. These tumors are going to be seen in patients uh, who are pregnant, patients who have history of hormonal exposure, or patients who have been receiving gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonists. So if the pathologist is informed of this clinical history, the person will remember the constellation of features associated with um an apoplectic lyomyoma and will not render the diagnosis of stump. If the person has not been informed of these features, whenever this constellation occurs, that can be a reason for an overcall of a
0: stump. So it's particularly important to, obviously, in, in patients that have this constellation, as you, as you mentioned, of, of uh, symptoms or, or clinical scenario to inform the pathologist about um, those details. Now, the, the, the fumarase-deficient uh, leiomyoma, um, t- tell us about those.
1: These are very interesting cases. The fumarase-deficient leiomyomas are smooth muscle tumors that have very discrete histological features. And they can actually generate a lot of anxiety from the management standpoint. The reason being that uterine leiomyomas with these features could be part of the hereditary leiomyomatosis and renal cell carcinoma syndrome. So once the diagnosis is rendered, the question is, what am I going to do with the patient? Do I need to send the patient for a germline mutation analysis, which is a rather expensive test? So, let's start with the histology. When is the pathologist going to render this diagnosis? The pathologist is going to render the diagnosis of fumarate deficient leiomyoma whenever the pathologist examines a leiomyoma and starts to see the following features. Nuclei that are prominent with a cherry red nucleoli. This cherry red nucleoli are showing perinuclear halos and you see a eosinophilic inclusion in the cytoplasm in addition to that the blood vessels become kind of medium sized and open resembling what we call the staghorn pattern so you see changes in the nuclear compartment you see changes in the cytoplasm and you see these vessels. Seeing this, if the pathologist has an immunostain called FH, fumarate hydrotase, that test can be performed. And the results can be positive or negative. And ideally, if we had the ability to have this non-commercial, to have access to this non-commercially available marker called 2SC, we can complete the analysis. 2SC is a marker that is going to be expressed in cases where indeed there is a fumarate deficiency. Because the FH by itself, the immunostain available, is not 100% reliable. So the ultimate immunostain will be 2SC. However, 2SC is not commercially available. So usually what is going to happen is the pathologist is going to render the diagnosis based on the histological features, and then the pathologist might or might not perform FH, and is going to put that result in a comment. And then the report comes to you, and your question is, what am I going to do next?
0: And then that, that, that was going to be my, my next question. Do we have enough history on these tumors, both the apoplectic leiomyoma and uh, the fumarate-deficient leiomyoma? to provide information to the patients as to what's going to be your prognosis?
1: For the apoplectic leiomyoma, this is a benign entity. We know that uh, the issue becomes a problem when there is an overcall of a stump because now the patient has to be followed. Regarding the fumarate-deficient leiomyoma, things get a little trickier here. Because uh, we are going to need to do an examination of the patient's skin, looking for subcutaneous um, leiomyomas, and we are going to need to collect a uh, clinical uh, history in regards of family history of renal cell carcinomas or multiple uh, smooth muscle tumors, essentially leiomyomas in a in a young patient in the family. That's going to dictate if the patient goes for germline mutation analysis or not. It's important to mention that most of these cases are going to be sporadic in nature. So, what we find is a somatic mutation, not a germline mutation, but that there is a small risk of having a germline mutation, which will put the patient at risk of being part of this hereditary liematosis and renal cell carcinoma syndrome, which, by the way, the renal cell carcinoma cases are known for being aggressive, seen in patients in their 30s, in patients who present with advanced stage disease and essentially a poor prognosis. So is that risk? So it will be critical to get a good physical examination to rule out cutaneous or subcutaneous lyomyomas and check the clinical history, looking for leiomyomas in young members of the family and a history of renal cell carcinoma. In those cases, absolutely. The patient should undergo REM line test.
0: Okay. Um, so the next uh, tumor that I, I was interested in hearing your thoughts about is uh, the peak What What are these tumors? And, and tell us about their, their history. Picomas in the uterus are uh, controversial
1: entities, and let me um, tell you why. By definition, epicoma is a tumor, a mesenchymal tumor, that is going to demonstrate smooth muscle as well as um, melanocytic differentiation. So you have smooth muscle markers being expressed as well as uh, melanocytic markers being expressed. Many investiga- investigators, including one of our most outstanding pathologists at MD Anderson, Dr. Silva, had problem with the definition of pcoma because he said, "Well." You know, smooth muscle tumors in the uterus, in the very moment that they acquire an epithelioid morphology and they show clear cell features, they can express HMB45, which is a melanocytic marker. Other investigators had shown that about per- 36% of leiomyosarcomas sarcomas can express melanocytic markers. So my take on P.Comas is as follows. It's true that these tumors express smooth muscle markers, and melanocytic markers. But I'm also looking for certain characteristics from the histological standpoint to really make this diagnosis. So I'm looking for a nested pattern for a vascular component in addition to those epithelioid cells with a clear or eosinophilic cytoplasm. So it's not only the expression of the melanocytic markers in conjunction with the smooth muscle markers. Of note, <clears throat> there is a type of picoma which has been designated as tf 3 rearrange, which fails to express um, some uh, markers that we classically will expect to find, which are the the, the smooth muscle markers. Okay, so um, picomas um, can be um, associated with picomatosis. That means um, the growth of similar cells in other areas of the peritoneal or the, of the GYN tract. And in that particular scenario, I will be c- concerned about tuberous sclerosis. Otherwise, the risk of having an association with tuberous sclerosis is kind of low. It will be less than 10% of the comas arising in the uterus will be associated with tuberous sclerosis. So, that's another important piece of information for you on the clinical side, you know, how concerned you will be to roll out towards sclerosis in a patient that has received the diagnosis of a big coma. And
0: Then going back to the question on prognosis again, how do we discuss the prognosis uh, with, with the patient? What do we tell the patient regarding their likelihood of um, progression, uh, recurrence?
1: The pathologist is going to your s- certain histological features in order to make uh, the diagnosis of a malignant picoma and essentially we're looking for two or more of the of what has been designated as worrisome features and the worrisome features will be a size that is greater than five centimeters an infiltrative pattern necrosis vascular invasion and mitotic index of at least one mitosis per 50 high- power fields, pay attention to the fact that I'm using 50 rather than 10 high power fields and high nuclear features. So if we see two or more of these features, the diagnosis of malignant picoma will be rendered. What is interesting with malignant picomas is that if you have disseminated disease, these patients can be treated with mTOR inhibitors. So This is targeted therapy that is available for patients who present with recurrences of malignant picomas or who present with advanced disease. Um, TFE3-rearranged malignant picomas will not benefit from this uh, treatment, so that's something that we, on the pathology side, have to do this test once the diagnosis of malignant picoma or recurrent malignant picoma is made. In that way, you can consider this therapeutic approach or not, based on the molecular findings.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Anais. It's been absolutely a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, Would you like to make any additional closing summaries? Well, just to recap this 20 minutes, you will expect to
1: get a diagnosis of endometrial stromal sarcoma with a grade, low or high grade. You are going to be able of seeing a new diagnosis, in your reports, a tumor that has been designated as high-grade endometrial stroma sarcoma, and you can see a gene fusion report as a comment or as a molecular diagnostic report, which is going to be characteristic of this mixoid high-grade endometrial stroma sarcoma. And please get familiar with this Gene Fusion, ZC3H7B, B-Core. You know, just remember B-Core. Remember that you are going to run into cases of atypical leiomyoma with low risk of recurrence or bizarre leiomyoma with low risk of recurrence. Just be sure that the pathology has been solid, that if you remove a tumor, that measure 15 centimeters and you go over your pathology report and you see only three sections were examined microscopically, perhaps you would like to contact your pathologist to ensure that additional sections are submitted to rule out the possibility of a leiomyosarcoma. If at the end the diagnosis is a typical leiomyoma, bear in mind that these tumors can recur and the recurrence rate is low less than 2%. Be familiar with the term apoplectic leiomyoma. This is a tumor that is benign and that is going to be associated either with pregnancy, the use of hormones, or or gonadotropin-release hormone agonists. Do not get scared with the diagnosis of fumarate-deficient leiomyomas. Just discuss this entity with your patient, be sure that the physical examination includes examination of the skin, and perhaps you will consider to refer the patient to other pathologists mm-hmm. in order to perform this examination. Collect clinical information, and then the possibility of germline mutation analysis will be considered based on your findings. And picoma, a diagnosis that might be linked to tuberous sclerosis, but in reality, that happens in a minority of cases.
0: Well, thank you so much, Anais. It's really been a pleasure.
1: Thank you for this opportunity, and a good day for everybody.